Ontario doesn't feel like it's being run by conservatives. It feels like just another liberal province being run by a government who thinks that they can make decisions about your life better than you can. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Now, I am excited to be joined on the podcast today by an independent MPP in Ontario, Roman Babber. So Roman was elected to represent the people of York Centre, which is in the GTA. Back in 2018, he was elected as a member of the Progressive Conservative Party with the government of Doug Ford. And then in 2021, about a year ago, he was kicked out of the PC caucus for voicing opposition against the government lockdowns. Roman spent his childhood in the Soviet Union and Israel before moving to Canada when he was 15 years old. Before entering politics, Roman worked as a lawyer in the GTA. And like I said, he got kicked out of caucus by Premier Doug Ford for voicing opposition. He wrote a great letter uh, explaining, outlining all, outlining all the reasons why he opposed the lockdowns and he thought that the lockdowns were worse than the disease and the, and the evidence that he put forward was very, very compelling. Obviously, the premier didn't like it and, and out he went. And since then, he has sat as an independent and he's been a very outspoken advocate articulate, articulating all of the reasons why we need freedom and we don't need more heavy-handed measures to deal with COVID. So Roman, it's, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be with you, Candice. Thank you. Okay, so before we get into the sort of drama of what happened a year ago, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and what made you decide to run as a progressive conservative in the in the party with uh, Premier Doug Ford? Candice, I've always had an interest in public service, and I think um, that one of the best things one can do uh, is to help other people. Uh, but also, I consider myself, and I often say that I'm Exhibit A for Canadian Opportunity. Uh, we came to Canada when I was 15 to the very writing that I'm now blessed to represent. And we didn't have a cent to our name, but I've, I've always had a job and I've always had this incredible joy because I had opportunity. Um, and so I've always felt compelled to preserve Canadian opportunity because uh, all you need to do to succeed in Canada is work hard and be nice to people. And I'm concerned that that is regretfully slipping away, and it's particularly slipping away in the last couple of years. Well, I, I completely agree with that. Some of the nastiness that we see online, it feels like Canada is slipping down a very tribalistic path. And I know that social media kind of accentuates the, the, the ugliness, but even, you know, just as an example, you know, we saw the big trucker convoy uh, going across the country uh, last week. And, uh, you know, a lot of the comments back and forth both ways were just really, really nasty and really un-Canadian, um, to your point, you know, ca ca Canadians defined as being nice and being polite and being nice to each other. And, and here we have uh, the country sort of being torn apart over over COVID, over over the way that, that the po uh, politicians and public health experts have handled this uh, pandemic and crisis. So let's talk a little bit about your opposition and, and your critique. What what led you to write that 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 letter? Um, I know you published part of it in the Toronto Sun and, and you put the whole thing out on your Twitter page, but what, what led you to speak out and, and go against your own government? Uh, Candace, just very quickly to your point, I'm very, very perplexed by the way that Canadians behave towards one another. And it's not just on social media. I see that in the store. I see that in everyday life. Uh, this fear that has been fostered by government and public health has now turned into hate. And it's unthinkable to me that Canadians are, are capable of such an emotion. 
And it's very, very important. And that's why I, I, I've urged over the last couple of months, especially before Christmas, to try and get, get back to what makes us Canadian. And, and that goes for all sides of the ideological aisle. We have to show kindness to one another. We have to accept one another. And, and folks that agree with my persuasion uh, should also reach out to folks on the other side of this uh, debate and, and say, we all accept you and love you and, and we hope for the same thing. Hopefully kindness will help us get us out of this. But in, in, response, to, in response to your question about the lockdowns, so this was just over a year ago. Um, I'm, I'm a friendly guy. I, I speak to a lot of people and I speak to a lot of constituents. And I, the level of carnage that I started hearing out there has just gotten to be too much. Uh, I would hear of overdoses at least once or twice a week. I would hear of attempted suicides at least once a week. I had constituents reaching out to me telling me that their surgeries are canceled. I've heard from so many parents and, and I made uh, children the centerpiece of my letter. Uh, I've heard from so many parents that uh, express sentiments like, I don't recognize my child or I'm estranged from my child or my child's not eating or overeating. Um, and and th this cannot go on anymore. So I felt that uh, I, I made an argument for health and mental health. I felt that the mental health toll and the health toll of the pandemic is not factored uh, into, or the pandemic response is not factored into our decision-making, but it should be factored into our policy-making. Well, it, absolutely. And you know what we see so much is politicians sort of deferring to health experts. But it's like, which, which health experts? Why are they only looking at virologists and looking at one narrow element, which is the COVID virus disease? Why aren't they looking at the broader picture of public health, which, as, as you point out, I mean, I'm going to just read a couple of points from your letter, uh, which was so succinct. And, and now, obviously, this is a year old now, so, so the numbers might not be completely accurate, but, the, but they still t uh, paint a pretty overwhelming picture. You know, here you say cancer screenings at Princess Margaret are, are back to 60% with uh, doctors fearing a tsunami of cancer. Ontario's overdose rate is trending 50% above normal. According to the Canadian Mental Health Association, 10% of adults requ uh, reported feelings of suicide four times more than normal. The uh, Among young Canadians aged 19 to 35, the rate is 20%. Sick kids is calling the increase of eating disorder in young people an unprecedented crisis. Tens of thousands of businesses shut down. The employment rate, unemployment rate is nearly double. 320,000 people have not regained work. Government is criminalizing normal behavior and putting law-abiding Ontario, Ontarians in legal jeopardy. And, 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 and then sort of on the, on the flip side, you know, you talk about how the... Uh, fatality rate for COVID is just really not nearly as bad as what we hear in the media and what we hear from politicians and, and sort of talk about how the, the picture is, uh, the, the, the problem of COVID is, is really focused, should be focused more on places where they're very vulnerable people, especially long-term care facilities. And I've, I've seen statistics that um, upwards of 85 or 90% of all deaths in the pandemic have been from people in this age group and people who live in long-term care facilities. So so, so why are we taking it out on school children and uh, business owners and entrepreneurs? Uh, Roman, I, I just wonder, you know, uh, we have a progressive conservative government um, you know, Doug Ford's slogan is that Ontario is open for business. And, you know, uh, a lot of people voted for him because they thought he was a businessman and an entrepreneur and someone who understood the private sector and that was going to stand up to the unions. And, 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 and frankly, we haven't seen much of that at all. Um, like I said off the top, it feels more like we have a liberal government just because it's always government knows best and always heavy handed measures. 
Uh, were you surprised um, by the way that Doug Ford reacted uh, to the pandemic? I would, I would characterize Doug's response as political. Uh, Doug is getting advice that he should not have any daylight between him and the doctors. To be clear, Doug is in charge of what's transpiring and he has veto power over anything that's recommended by the health table or uh, by Public Health Ontario. Just that uh, they made a decision early on that the doctors are gonna be more popular. There's a lot of um, uh, fear of the virus and now they have to respond to it accordingly and they can't deviate from their direction because that would render their previous action in response to the virus wrong. And so they're stuck in this proposition where they cannot acknowledge uh, their relative risk and where the risk is. But Candace, with your permission, I I'd like to go back to the elements of my letter and compare them a year later. Sure. I, I'm, not, I'm not looking for, for vindication. I, I'm not looking to be told that I was right. I'm, I'm asking for, for Doug Ford and Canadian governments to end these lockdowns because the evidence has proven to be correct. And I also ask that history judge lockdowns fairly. It's very, very important for victims of COVID, victims of, of lockdowns and, and the general historical perspective when we deal with future crises or future pandemics, that we don't succumb to cancel culture, that we don't succumb to groupthink, and instead we entertain opinion, and, and we especially entertain dissenting opinion by honest, well-meaning professionals, instead of censoring them or firing them or kicking them out of caucus. So I cited, with your permission very quickly, uh, a crisis in, in deaths from overdoses. And um, the figure I used at the time is that it was trending over 50%. I was accused of misinformation because at the time it was 38%. The figures actually came in from Public Health Ontario and it's at about 78% year over year increase, almost double Candace. We have almost three times number of people under age 50 that passed away from overdose. The increase in deaths from overdose alone is almost three times greater than deaths from COVID under age 50. And that's just overdose, it's a catastrophe. On the cancer side, and, and that data is all available out there and is even cited by the mainstream media. I would refer to, on that one, I would refer to the Toronto Star on May 12th. In terms of uh, cancer screenings, we have missed a million cancer screenings in Ontario from March to December, 2020. That's according to QP briefing and that figure has been verified. And now we're seeing delayed diagnoses. The game with cancer is the earlier you detect it, the better you get at it. And we have doctors like Dr. Malik from Mississauga, like Dr. Singh from McMaster's Children's Hospital, who said that if we just diagnosed many children six months earlier, their lives could have been saved. That tsunami of cancer, unfortunately, is here. In terms of mental health and today's Bell Mental Health Day, we see remarkable numbers. According to Leger, about a month ago, we see that 17% of youth age 18 to 24 are seriously weighing suicide. Youth age 18 to 45, that statistically, thankfully, is not at risk of the virus, is anxious and depressed. We saw hospitalizations at McMaster for attempted suicide in youth triple. We have a mental health pandemic that was created as a result of our response to COVID. And it's, it's a re very regrettable mistake, to be clear, COVID is a very serious respiratory infection and it can be very dangerous to some folks, but we know where the risk is, as you cited. According to Statistics Canada, mid-October, more than 80% of Canadians that passed away from COVID regretfully passed away in a long-term care home. 
And two years later, more than half of Ontario's long-term care homes are still in outbreak. We need to fortify protection of long-term care homes with infection control and staff, and we need to focus on the frail elderly instead of locking down 15 million people and making them sick. Well, I couldn't agree more with that. Uh, so well put, Roman. Now, I just want to pick up on something you said, because you said that uh, Premier Doug Ford, from your opinion estimation, he didn't want there to be any daylight between him and the doctor. So he he just sort of goes out and whatever they say, he says, and he doesn't want to be seen as being anti, anti-science or whatever. But but you, you cite all these other doctors who have all these other concerns about the second and third order consequences of COVID, the suicides, the cancer, uh, all, all of these diseases of despair. What, what about those doctors? Why don't those doctors have the premier's ear? And why doesn't he take into consideration what they're saying? Because if 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 he if he did, he would have a broader picture, and perhaps he wouldn't be so quick to to lock down the province again and again anytime there's uh, the slightest uptick in 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 hospital in ICU cases. Well, Candace, because up until recently, those doctors have been shut out. I have not I have not questioned the government politically. My letter was respectful and it was well cited. And I was removed from caucus two hours after its publication by a text message about a bad breakup. Um, Unfortunately, dissenting voices in this pandemic have been in this pandemic response have been completely dismissed. And the the cancel culture, the professional threats rendered against doctors, scientists, academia and and uh, accountants, lawyers who, who voice uh, questions about numbers, about data, have been uh, not just shut out, they've been threatened into submission. And that, that is very unfortunate because that, does not, that is not good for public health, that is not good for public policy. And it's always good to have a good baseline of opinion to make an informed decision. Unfortunately, by the time that all these voices uh, were able to penetrate and we now fully understand the toll of the pandemic, the narrative has become that you have to stop the spread, you have to address cases. In reality, our hospital capacity is now challenged, but it's not challenged because of Omicron. It's challenged because we traditionally have a hospital um, shortage and, and dysfunction mismanagement in Ontario. And what I've always urged from, from the beginning, from my letter, is we really need to do two things other than ending the lockdown. So we need to protect long-term care and we need to build hospital capacity for whatever comes next. And two years later, Doug uh, has failed to do that. We now have less capacity than we did uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. We have definitely less staff than we did in the pandemic. And instead of getting all hands on deck, like Doug says, getting all healthcare workers uh, on site, we're we're firing, we fired uh, workers that made a different medical choice. We're keeping them home due to isolation protocols. We're capping their pay at 1%. We're doing everything possible to suppress it. So we need to change strategy here. We need to return to normal and build healthcare capacity and protect long-term care. Well, I, I, I would I would uh, take a different approach and say that we need more options in terms of healthcare. We need more people who will deliver it, more private options, more just more choice, because 
having a centrally planned government run healthcare system hasn't seemed to work very well. And I knew, I knew so many people, um, I mean, myself, I, <laughs> I was right at the beginning of the pandemic, I was pregnant and I had to go and do my uh, OB appointments. And it was completely ridiculous because it would take four hours just to see a doctor um, for a routine appointment. And there, you know, there was no other choice. It wasn't, I didn't have an option to go to a different facility. It was like, uh, I, I felt really stuck. And I, I, th I think so many people feel that way with the Canadian healthcare system. They don't, they don't get the treatment that they need and they don't have an alternative choice. Um, uh, unlike you know, most other countries where, where you would have a choice of a different uh, system, but, but that's, that's probably a conversation for another day, Roman. Uh, just as a final question for you here. It seems to me that with the onset of Omicron, everything has changed. I mean, I know so many people who are fully vaccinated and who have still gotten COVID. So the idea that we have this huge push to get vaccinated, even though the, 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 the rationale early on to get vaccinated was to stop the spread, stop the transmission, the purpose behind the uh, COVID passports or the vaccine mandates uh, was so that we wouldn't have unvaccinated people in restaurants and gyms and bars spreading COVID. Uh, but it seems from the data I've looked at and from, you know, the, the world around us over the last two, three months, that Omicron spreads regardless of vaccination status. And so given this change in facts, given the change in, in science, I mean, we've seen the UK take a step back and pretty much abandon all of the measures that they had. They, they no longer require masks. They no longer require vaccine passports. They no longer have any lockdowns. It seems like that's the direction that some countries are going in sort of ad admitting that the situation has changed and therefore the old strategy just doesn't really apply anymore. Frankly, it didn't work in the first place, but it, it, I don't expect politicians to admit that part, but at least many are admitting, okay, let's, let's move on to a different strategy, different path. We don't really see much of that in Canada at all. Certainly not in Ontario, certainly not in Quebec, uh, certainly not federally. Uh, do, do you think that, that, that we can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel? Do you think this pandemic is, is almost over given the, you know, the fact that Omicron is, is spreading so much and it's much more mild. A lot of people will be able to recover it from it and have their natural immunity. It won't matter as much if you've gotten boosted or if you're vaccinated or not, if you've recovered from it and had the antibodies. Do, do, do you see an end in sight here? Candace, the, the end in sight, if it comes along, would be a political end uh, where um, leadership has to acknowledge that it's impossible to arrest the spread of such a transmissible virus and that you cannot vaccinate your way out of this pandemic. Public health has, and, and for the record, I'm, I'm pro-voluntary vaccination. And, and it's regretful to me that we're now seeing effectively uh, an attempt or a suggestion that we need to redesign our democracy because we have a couple of hundred uh, folks in, in ICU for a province of 15 million people, that's shameful. To go back to your previous point for a moment, um, I'm of the view that, that we can improve healthcare significantly. We can improve management of healthcare and delivery still within the framework of the Canada Health Act. We just don't have the political will to call out government and bureaucratic mismanagement of Ontario's healthcare. We have more bureaucrats working at the Ministry of Health than physicians in Ontario. We take 12 years to build a hospital and, and, and that is unsustainable. But to your point, the, the, the mood of the day, the suggestion that we need to treat Canadians that made a different medical choice is not just uh, grotesque to me. 
It's also not based in any science because we understand that the vaccine doesn't stop transmission. We even understood that before Omicron, but especially with Omicron, with some public health experts suggesting that two shots are, are ineffective to stop the spread. And the medical officer himself said that um, the virus is now circulating amongst fully vaccinated individuals. So any suggestion that anyone needs to get vaccinated in order to protect another person, it respectfully is off the table and should not be maintained. And, and what, what I would say is that then takes the argument for passports and mandates also off the table, not to mention their discriminatory effect, the fact that we have segregation running in the province of Ontario. It's completely unjustifiable. It weighs on us as, as, a, as a community and it needs to end immediately. Well, I, I completely agree. And I remember at one point, Premier Doug Ford agreed with that as well, because he said that he didn't want to live in a two-tier society and that weren't going to do it uh, before before he changed his mind, of course. Uh, well, Roman, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate your insights. We'll have to have you back on the show. We can have a, a full debate on the uh, on the future of Canadian healthcare because I think I think you and I don't don't necessarily see eye to eye there, but I, I think you did raise some some great points. Uh, we appreciate you having you on the show. I appreciate all you're doing out there in York Center and in Ontario, fighting back against the lunacy and fighting for freedom in Canada. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Candice. All right, thanks for tuning in. I'm Candice Malcolm, and this is the Candice Malcolm Show.